and I'm excited to get to fill in for Pastor Malcolm. I don't know where he is, but uh, wherever he is, he's doing something good for Jesus. Let's look, if you will. I want you to take your Bible and go to two different places. First, I want you to go to uh, Acts chapter 20 and kind of put your finger there, Acts 20. And after you find that and put your finger there, I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at the very last verse. We will read these verses and then we'll pray and be seated. All right, you got those? Say amen. amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 tells us, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What a wonderful admonition that is. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 20. And this will be the meat of the message. I want to start in verse 24. And then what we're going to do during the message, we'll work uh, through chapter 20, 21, up to chapter 23. But I want to read you verse 24. The Bible says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for letting us be here tonight. Thank you for a dry, warm building to gather in and to read, to worship, to study and to pray. And I ask you, Lord, to help us tonight. God, I pray just like Pastor Malcolm prays. Lord, please don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And don't let me forget or, or leave out or omit anything that you want me to say. I pray you'd bring to my memory that which I've studied and use us for your glory. Now, Lord, I know there's people tonight that are here and they're tired I know there's somebody here tonight that's, that's right on the verge of brokenness. And I pray that your word would be a, a healing balm. I pray you give us hope tonight and help and comfort and teach us something along the way. We'll be careful to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, thank you for standing. You can can be seated. I want to use the two verses that we read kind of like a jumping off uh, a point. And I guess if you wanted to get technical, for those of you that, that like to uh, study and preach and put together outlines, this would be a lot like a what we would call a topical message tonight. In other words, we have found a topic 
and we're going to expound on that. It's kind of like a hybrid between a topical uh, and then a, a, a message that comes straight from a set of verses. It comes really from a, a set of chapters, chapter 20, all the way to chapter 23 here in the book of Acts. But what I want to talk to you tonight is about unmovable outcomes. You know, all through the scripture, the Bible admonishes us children of God to be steadfast. In the verse we read in the beginning, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, be steadfast, be unmovable. The word move simply means to carry. The dictionary says to convey or draw from one place to another place. It goes on to say to cause, to change places or posture. And the Word of God is chock full of verses that encourage us not to be given to movement when it comes to our belief and faith in God. And I got to tell you, that is absolutely vital in our day and age. Well, preacher, how come that's so vital? Because Satan, who is our great opposer, has mounted an unprecedented assault on everything good, everything that represents godliness, everything that represents rightness or righteousness. He's present in our school systems. He's present in our political systems. He's present, uh, he's present and actively working in every public forum that we have in our American society. He's manifesting himself with agendas. And if you boil down all of the, what, what I might would call crazy agendas that are against God, there's one goal. And it is to move those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Move us where? Anywhere except grounded in faith in Christ. You can watch the news for half a second and realize that if you believe in the precious inerrant and infallible Word of God, you are in the minority. Amen? And so here's one thing that I think is just phenomenal. Every difficulty we're facing today, every onslaught of the enemy, every conceived way that Satan is trying to get us to move from our place of faith, God foresaw it. He he absolutely knew it would happen. And He gave us a Bible. He gave us examples. 
He gave us heroes in the faith, like the apostle Paul, like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Father Abraham and and all the Old Testament saints and, and so many of the New Testament saints. He gave us people like faithful Stephen, that even when he was being uh, martyred for his faith in Christ, he would say things like, Father, lay not this sin to their charge, and gladly took death for the cause of Christ. And the Bible encourages us to be unmovable. Now here's where I want to get to. Every Christian here tonight should be unmovable. We should be. And there are three outcomes that tell us why we should be unmovable. This message is a message that tells us that we should do something. And the reason is... That's the main thrust of these verses. Many sermons tell us how to do something, and I like them. And the how-to sermons are because the verses tell us how to do whatever the subject is. These verses encourage us to go ahead and do what the subject is. So every Christian should be unmovable in their faith because of the three outcomes found In these verses, here's what's going to happen if we'll be steadfast and unmovable. Number one, we will fulfill God's will. We will fulfill God's will. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is, is, is coming off of a like, matter of fact, a lot of his ministry was, he's coming off of a big uproar in a city. Isn't it something how the Apostle Paul, just by showing up somewhere and speaking out, he caused a whole lot of uproar. Matter of fact, I would go as far as to say, we ought not go looking for trouble. But every once in a while, trouble ought to just find us because of who we are and what we're doing and what we're saying. Trouble that is of opposition, of opposition. Uh, An older preacher told me one time, he said, son, if everybody likes you, you probably ain't doing enough for Jesus. (laughs) And I found that to be true over the years. After Paul met with the elders from Ephesus and gave them his final charge or his final farewell message, he took ship and headed to Jerusalem. When they reached uh, Tyree, they found several disciples there who discouraged Paul from going to Jerusalem. You can find that in Acts chapter 21 and verse 4. As a matter of fact, let's look at that. The Bible says, in finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. 
All right, so here we got Paul. He's just come off of his two-year prolonged ministry at Ephesus, where he planted the church that he would later write to, where we get the book of Ephesians from in our New Testament. And by the way, some places Paul the Apostle went, he stayed uh, a day or two, a week or two. Ephesus is one of them places where he dropped the plow and he worked the garden for at least two full years, maybe longer. And you know, there's going to be times in our life and places that we go that we visit with the gospel. Then there's going to be times in our life and places we go where God says, drop anchor for a little while and stay here and work for a little while. In the ministry that April and I have, we uh, have the privilege of going many places to preach and to, to, to help. Next week, I'll go to Ohio and preach in a missions conference. And, and, and I get to go there, but I'm taking an airplane so that as soon as I'm done, I can get on back home. Because here in Coleman with the tiny home village and the ministry to the unsheltered. This is where I dropped the plow. So we go visit there, but we work day in and day out here. So next, Paul and his company took ship again. And they sailed to a place called Caesarea, where they went into the house of Philip, who was the evangelist. While there, a prophet named Agabus came. You can find that in verse 11 of chapter 21. He testified that Paul would be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. Then all Paul's companions began to beg him not to go to Jerusalem. Now stay with me here. I'm going somewhere. Amen. I want you to look in chapter 21 at verses 12 through 14. The Bible says, And when they heard these things, and when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. Now let's dig into this a little bit. I said the first outcome of being unmovable in our, in our faith is that we will fulfill God's will. Another way of saying that is, if we give up today, we'll never fulfill what God has put us here to do. We cannot finish if we give up now. And I know, I know, somebody saying, oh, preacher, another message encouraging us to, to stay faithful. I know we hear it all the time, but, but give me a moment here. Enter COVID. Do you know how many active 
churchgoers a year and a half ago or two years ago have not been inside a church in the last year? Why do you think God puts verses like be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Why does God put those in the, in the scriptures? Because even the best of us, whoever the best of us are, I'm not putting myself there. Even the best of us are prone to falling away. Amen? It's important that we're here tonight. It's important that we gather tonight. Every handshake is important. Every hug is important. Every slap on the back and good to see you, brother, is important. Why? Because we need to be each other's cheerleaders and so much the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. If we want to fulfill the will of God, we better decide today to be unmovable. I saw a Facebook uh, thing the other day. I guess I've seen it a thousand times, but I like it. It said that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. I agree. You can't wake up on Sunday morning and see how you feel. <laughs> you know, because I, I don't know about you, but what I live in, it don't ever feel like coming. <laughs> Faithfulness is a lot like that too. We need to decide now, tonight, that we're going to finish our race. That we're going to finish our course. That we're going to do what God's called us to do. And that unmovable character that we develop is what's going to carry us through when everything else says, give up on God. Why will we fulfill God's will if we're unmovable? Because God will come first. You know, there's a lot to be said for stubbornness. There's a lot of good sermons we could preach about the wrong kind of stubbornness. But there's a lot of them we could preach about an old-fashioned holy stubbornness. There's an old chorus we used to sing. It said, I shall not be, I shall not be moved like a tree planted by the water's edge. I shall not be moved. Sad thing is, most of the time, it's I shall not be moved to do anything for God. <laughs> you ain't going to get me off of this pew. I'm planted. But I think God wants us in our faith, in our heart of hearts, to decide today, I shall not be moved. You know, if we're unmovable, then naturally what's going to happen is God's will comes first. God himself will come first. Check this out. The scripture says, 
What mean ye? This is chapter 21. Uh, I guess it's verse 13, 12, 13. It says, what mean ye to weep and break mine heart? He says, for I am ready not to be bound only. In other words, here's what happened. Agabus said, Agabus actually took the linens off of the apostle Paul and he bound him. He bound his hands with Paul's uh, girdle. And he said, hey, just like I'm bound, the Jews are going to bound the one that owns this girdle. In other words, they're going to catch you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. And then all Paul's companions, you know, the missionaries that were supposed to be helping him charge hell with the water pistol, they all got scared too. And they all said, hang on, Paul. Hang on. Just, I can hear the conversation now. Maybe it went something like, you're taking this Bible stuff a little too far, ain't you, son? I remember my, uh, my boss at Winn-Dixie. When I, when this man right here told me to go to Bible college, him and Pastor Malcolm advised me to go to Bible college. This is like eight months after I got saved. I ain't never been nowhere. And they're telling me to go to South Carolina to go to Bible college. You know what I did? I just got excited about going to Bible college. And, and, and I was a junior assistant manager at the Winn-Dixie in Vero Beach. They call it Miracle Mile, that area. And I went in and I told Mr. K, he was the, the, the store manager. I told him, Mr. K, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. His face dropped. And he said, why? Where, why? What are you doing? And I, I was so excited. I just knew he'd be excited. See, everybody at church was fired up. And they were excited. They were praying for me. Sister Manley. Remember her? She grabbed me by my cheeks and I'm praying, boy. When I went to tell my boss, he wasn't praying. He wasn't excited. He looked at me. He said, son, if you quit this job, you're making the biggest mistake of your young life. And I said, Okay, then. Preacher Malcolm told me I should. God's honest truth. That's how it went. And I didn't know the terminology then. I was brand new saved. Hadn't been saved a year. I didn't know all the whys. I didn't know all the... I, I didn't know it all. I, I, I still don't know it all. I didn't know nothing about, about it then. But I did know this. God had saved me and that was the best thing yet. In 18 years, that was the best thing that happened. I felt different. I acted different. I don't think I looked different, but I felt like I looked different. I wanted different stuff. It just was all brand new and I was fired up. And it didn't matter what that store manager told me. I had my mind set toward North Augusta, South Carolina, and the Bible College. And you know what happens when you're unmovable? God's will just naturally comes first. You know why God's will 
the will of God for your life is not coming natural for some of us. It's because we ain't even made our mind up yet if we're going to be here next year. It's still up in the air. I think what God is asking us tonight, take it out from the air and pull it down deep in our heart and say, God, you've been so good to me with the help of the Lord and with the touch of God and with the filling of the Holy Ghost and by your grace... Lord, I'm here till you kick me out. And you know what? He ain't in the kicking out business. God's in the getting in business. Amen. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And there's more we could say there, but let me go to B here. We will fulfill God's will uh, because A... God will come first and and B, because those around us will know our priorities. Now check this out. I want to show you something. Boy, God showed this to me this morning and I I praise him for it because I was struggling yesterday this time about what to preach about tonight, by the way. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 14. Now here they are. All his buddies are trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem. All right, God tells Paul, God puts it on Paul's heart to go to Jerusalem. All of his buddies are trying to talk him out of it. And he said, and, and, and he said no, what mean you to break my heart? I'm ready to, not to be bound only, but even to die if I have to. And then here's what, here's what they said. Verse 14. And when he would not be persuaded. In other words... When old Apostle Paul couldn't be moved. When he was stubborn. You get it? After that, he'd made his mind up. Amen. That's going to sink into some of us about midnight night. You're going to wake up for, for, for a midnight snack like I do every night. And you're going to be like, huh, God wants me to make my mind up. He would not be persuaded. Here's what happened. We ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. Now here's why that's important, Tim. The faith of the Apostle Paul to press toward that mark impacted those around him in a great way. So what happened is they, they just quit trying to convince him otherwise. And they said... All right, the will of the Lord be done. But what was the difference between the Apostle Paul and them? They couldn't convince him not to do God's will, so they just kind of defaulted to it. Ah, the will of the Lord be done. Whereas the Apostle Paul woke up that morning. He woke up that morning. And he said, this morning, this day, God's will is going to be done in my life. He was a leader. Would you agree with that? And you can be a leader too. Daddies, your children don't need to see you being wishy-washy about God and the things of God. They need to see your mind is made up. 
They need to catch you once in a while reading your Bible somewhere besides in here. If not, they're probably going to think, ah, that ain't, that, that, ain't, that ain't very important to daddy. So it got, the, the will of God got real important to Paul's companions when they saw how important it was to him. And when we fulfill God's will because we're unmovable, what's going to happen is it's going to rub off on those around us. See, many of us have good intentions. Good intentions. But we allow those around us to drag us right back into our old life. Why? Nine times out of ten, they know they can. They just know they can. They just know. But when we're unmovable. <laughs> now, now, don't get me wrong. Satan's still going to attack. Amen? Amen? But there's people in your life that need to know you're planted. You're planted. Well, let's move on. Let me ask you this before we move to number two. Do you want to fulfill God's will for your life? You know, I was thinking today about those verses. I think 2 Timothy chapter 4, maybe 7 and 8. I didn't put it in the notes. The Apostle Paul, he said, the same one that wrote this, he said this. He said that the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Why could Paul say, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that he finished his course. I think it's because in Acts chapter 20 and before, he made his mind up. Amen? I mean, it didn't happen on accident. And by the way, he said, I have fought a good fight. What's the good fight? It's the fight of faith. Some of us are fighting. And we're good at fighting. But, but the fight we're fighting, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to look back and you're going to say, that was not even worth fighting for. I heard a preacher on the radio today. He said, if, if you're getting a divorce, make sure you're, you're fighting for a good, a good cause there. You get that? If you've put your foot down, you better make sure that's a battle worth fighting. The old timers used to say that there's nothing worse than getting to the top of the ladder and realizing it was leaning against the wrong wall. I don't know about you, but boy, I, I, I want to finish my assignment. And by the way, this is just time out. If you're saved, if God has redeemed you, He redeemed you for a reason. To redeem literally means to purchase back. To take back. It took effort. It took thought. It took love. It took mercy. It took grace. It took the very life's blood 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are redeemed, you're redeemed for a reason. And boy, I'd hate not to fulfill that reason. Let me give you number two, outcome number two. When we are unmovable, here's the second outcome. We will find God's favor. We will find God's favor. Soon after Paul reinforced his plan to do God's will, they set sail and they arrived in Jerusalem. He entered the temple and was attacked and apprehended by an angry mob. Can you imagine that? He was then rescued by Roman soldiers and put into chains. For the next two years, Paul was a prisoner. He went before the chief captain. He went before the Sanhedrin. He went before Ananias, the high priest. He was accused of sedition and treason. And and another angry mob became so violent, they literally, in chapter 23... Almost pulled him into pieces. He was thrown into prison. And then we have Acts chapter 23 and verse number 11. Watch what happens. This is the progression of his journey to Rome. The Bible says, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. So if we judged his situation by our standards or or worldly standards, Paul would have been a pretty big failure. I mean, Paul, you messed it up so bad, you got thrown in prison. What good can you be now? But in prison, the Lord stood by him. Kind of reminds me of a a young man in the Old Testament named Joseph. Who was forsook by the butcher and forgotten by the baker and, and sold into slavery by his brothers. But found the favor of an almighty God. What is favor? And by the way, I misspelled it on this outline because evidently Microsoft Word is unfamiliar with the King James Bible. Your Bible word favor is F-A-V-O-U-R and it's used over 70 times in both the Old and the New Testament and it means to regard with kindness. It means to support. To support, it means to give grace or to give charm. Why do we need God's favor? Because of the evil world we live in and the great task that we've been given. Preacher has been preaching to us about sharing our story. Boy, I'm so thankful for that because it has challenged me. I was in Georgia this week on a deer hunting. And, you know, you go deer hunting with a pastor, and at some point, somebody's going to be told to preach somewhere. 
On Saturday, we had a, uh, a fall festival, like a trunk or treat. God is my witness. I'm in middle Georgia. And, and the pastor said, the trunk or treat Saturday from 1 till 3 so we can hunt in the morning and in the afternoon. I got to the trunk or treat and the pastor's son had a, uh, he had this, his trunk set up was the back of his pickup truck. He had uh, 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 scarecrows and stuff and he had about 25 real crows, dead ones, scattered all around the ground because uh, he'd been crow hunting that morning. <laughs> Only in Georgia. And he had a big sign on poster board, uh, something sign out of Genesis about Go therefore and take me some venison. And so that was the trunk retreat. But then they also had hay rides. And I was there and Hunter was there and they had two tractors with wagons. And the preacher said, Hunter, you get on that tractor. And Travis, you get on that tractor. And when the hay ride starts, you preach to them. I said, I said, man, I don't know if I got any hay ride sermons. And then preacher Malcolm's face came came into my in, into my, my mind and the share my story came into my mind and I could hear him talking about uh uh sharing your story. And so on the hayride, that's what I did. We went around five different times with loads of kids and moms and dads. I just figured I'd share my story. It took me about three times to get warmed up good. And there was a first grade little girl when I was trying to share my story, she wouldn't hush. And finally, she said, I can say the Pledge of Allegiance. I said, well, go ahead then. Boy, she did too. But after we got past her, we were able to share our story. I don't even know why I'm telling you that. I have no idea. Oh, because we've been given a great task. It's almost like if you boil it down, the child of God got two tasks. Number one, stay clean in a dirty world. And number two, shine the light of Christ and win souls and make disciples. I mean, that's our job if you boil it all down. And here's my point. Here's where I was going with all that. Neither one of them main tasks is achievable without the favor of God. I can promise you that. Now, I can't stand up here and give you a whole lot of guarantees outside of this Bible. But inside it, I can tell you this. Well, Jesus said it. John 15, thank you, Lord, for without me, ye can do nothing. So, so what does Jesus mean? With me, you can do something. The favor of God. The presence of God. The, 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 the God supporting us. And God regarding us with kindness. How do we obtain God's favor? Be faithful to God and be unmovable. I just can imagine when God looks down and He says, Oh, look at my child right there. Boy, she's been through thick and thin. But boy, she's never quit loving me. She, there's been days when she's been broken. There's been days when she was shattered, but she cried out to me for help. She even confessed she was confused, but she still confessed it to me. Those are the kind of people 
that find the touch of God and find the favor of God and find God working behind the scenes and find God moving the pieces. Boy, Joseph didn't look like much. Thrown away, discarded, overlooked. But he had the favor of God on his life. And he fed all of Egypt. David sure didn't look like much. He wasn't even considered for a possible candidate for a kingdom. But boy, God was looking his way. And God shined on him with a kingly favor. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou uh, uh, find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. I found a verse right before church uh, tonight. Luke 2 and 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You want to know why God has allowed Temple Baptist Church to give, I don't know, this year, how how much was the big offering? Almost a half a million, really? Yeah, $400,000. Huh? $461,000. How's that happen? Because we have the aristocrats? Y'all ain't them. (laughs) Is it because we have the best pastor in the world? Probably. That's his mama. I'm going to tell you. And some of you will agree, but it does have a lot to do with him. It's the favor of God. It's the touch of God. You know what? You can't buy that. It's not for sale. And you know what else? Every saved child of God has the opportunity to be faithful unto God and to love God and be ready and willing to receive what God Throws our way. And if we want to win souls, make disciples, build micro churches, plant micro churches, build a tiny home village, which is the dream in my heart to do for the unsheltered, it's going to happen not because of our programs and all, it's going to happen because of the touch of God. Now, here's the crux of the matter. That doesn't come to wishy-washy people. You remember what our brother James said? A double-minded man is unstable in how many of his ways? All his ways. And then it goes on to say, Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. That's why I'm trying to tell you, this isn't just another sermon to try to get you to be faithful to church. It's way deeper than that. This is about your family. 
This is about your life. Why is that important, preacher? We're doing pretty good. Do, do you own a crystal ball? Do you know what tragedy might happen next year? None of us know what diagnosis we might come away with the next doctor's visit. Right? So I think our best bet is to cling tightly to our Savior now. So that we can have as much of the favor of God on our life as is absolutely possible. Not just for today and tomorrow, but for whatever comes that's unforeseen. Well, let me give you the second thing here. Uh, We will find God's favor, A, I don't even think I gave you that, but I just got too excited. A is because His presence will be with us. And that's what Paul found. Paul found that as he stayed faithful and was unmovable, the presence of God was also unmovable. The Lord stood by Paul here in Acts 23, then again in the midst of a horrible storm called Eurocladon in Acts 27. And I'll spare you reading them verses because of time. But we will find God's favor when we're unmovable because His presence will be with us and also because His purpose will be clear to us. Remember that verse in James, the double-minded man? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. It was clear to Paul that God had a purpose for him going to Jerusalem and then to Rome. He was carrying the gospel message Everywhere he went, and his purpose was the gospel. So I know somebody's going to be, you're you're thinking, I know you're thinking, well, I ain't the Apostle Paul. I'm not the great apostle to the Gentiles. I'm not Malcolm Carter. I'm not leading this church. I'm not, listen, yes, God gives people different special assignments. He's given me the assignment to minister to the unsheltered. He, you know, he gave Pastor Carter here the assignment to, to preach at uh, a New Testament, I guess, and then at Bethel for all 23 years or more. And, and, and to pastoring was his assignment. And Pastor's wife was her assignment. And, and, and some of you, small group leader is your assignment. And so on and so forth. But don't overlook the obvious. If we're saved, our assignment is the gospel. Our assignment is the gospel. But if we're unfaithful to the gospel, then our purpose, which is the gospel, it's going to be fuzzy. It won't be clear. It just won't be clear. Let me ask you this. Do you want God's favor in your life? Will you live in such a way to obtain it? April's always telling me, you know, I've been on this diet now, but not, but it's not a diet, right? It's a lifestyle. <laughs> She's like, if you diet, you'll get off of it, and then you'll be heavier than you were when you started. And I know that's gospel truth because that's happened to me like five times in my short life. But she's always telling me things like, 
you'll get in it what you put out of it. You eat that cheeseburger, you're going to see that cheeseburger. And now at 46 years of age, I finally believe her. And I don't know why I can believe that, that train of thought when it comes to Bible stuff, but ignore it when it comes to belly stuff. <laughs> but if we want the favor of God, it's only going to come when we make our mind up. Now, let me give you this disclaimer. I'm not telling you or me or nobody else that we can just simply make our mind up and all's good. That would kind of be like a false gospel. Matter of fact, usually it's been my experience, as soon as we make our mind up to live for God, that's when all of hell seems to be unleashed. But, just like I was told one time, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. We got to aim. And our aim is making our mind up to live for God. Let me give you number three in the last one. What's the last out? Now listen, these are unmovable outcomes. This is what happens when we decide to be unmovable in our faith. The last one is we will further God's kingdom. After everything that happened in Jerusalem... His arrests, his hearings, his imprisonments. Paul finds himself at Rome in prison for two more years. Check this out. But he never quit preaching the gospel and sharing his faith in Christ. That amazes me. That, that's, this is one of them parts where I think sometimes I'm guilty of just reading the Bible, you know, and, and just like, oh, and he's... Stuck out a staff in the Red Sea party down there. What? Here's Paul. He spends a couple years in prison in Jerusalem. Now he's in Rome. A couple years in prison. And he still cares. To talk about what landed him in prison. Unmovable. The Bible says, Acts 28, 30, it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all. Now, this is when he was confined. He's in prison. And received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. I wrote in the notes here, you may be thinking that after all Paul went through, after all this faithfulness, why did God allow him to wind up in prison? That doesn't seem like the favor of God. It don't seem like God's regarding him with kindness. Like the dictionary says, favor means. But we got to remember, Paul's desire after he got saved was not that he would have a great life. It was that God would be glorified through his life. He wrote in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now compare that with chapter 20 and verse 24. Watch this. This is our original verse we read. But none of these things move me. Watch this. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. That phrase is so un-American, it ain't even funny. What does dear mean? It, it means valuable. So what Paul says is, none of these things move me. And also, I don't even count my life valuable unto myself. You better believe he had some self-esteem. And you better believe his life was valuable. But it was valuable to God. You know people, and I know people, whose life is basically of no value to God right now. They might have a lot of money, even a lot of stuff, or even a high position somewhere. But if you boil it down, their life is valuable to themselves. But it's of little value to God. They're not helping nobody. They're not rescuing people from hell. They're not discipling anybody. They're not promoting the gospel message. There's no light in them at all. So Paul says, My life is not dear to me. But oh, you and I know it was dear to somebody. I guarantee it was dear to all them people at Ephesus that he won to Christ who became faithful. I guarantee it was dear to all them in uh, Thessalonica who though they never met him, they read his writings and lived their life and were strengthened by it. I guarantee it was faithful to those in Jerusalem that he won to the Lord. I guarantee his life was valuable and dear to those in Rome that got saved. He furthered God's kingdom simply by being unmovable. Because when he was unmovable, his life became valuable, not for himself, to to, to invest in himself. It became valuable to the kingdom of God. And did you know that can happen, that can be accomplished without a big bank account? You don't even have to be well known. And we can be valuable to God. Amen? Amen. There's some things just can't happen without a big bank account. I had somebody in my house today to give me a quote on some some work. I'm having some stuff done. And he told me the quote, and I was like, say what? I get back with you. (laughs) Some things have to, you know, if you got it, you can get it. That's how life is. This life, this worldly life, it ain't like that with the favor of God. And it's not like that with furthering God's kingdom. The poorest one among us 
can be faithful to God and find God's favor and further God's kingdom and fulfill God's will for their life. And by the way, can I let you in on a little secret? That's the richest one among us. (laughs) Amen. It was during this time of imprisonment that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians where we get those great verses like, like, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You think that was valuable to the church? Amen. It was during this time of imprisonment that Paul wrote the book of Philippians where we get the the great verse, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's been pretty valuable to me in my Christian walk. It was during this time of imprisonment that Paul wrote the book of Colossians where we get verses that say something like, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It was during his imprisonment that Paul wrote the book of Philemon, where we get the verse that says, If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Talking about Onesimus and picturing the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of a sinner. Our sins being put on his account. I believe that's why Paul wrote Romans 8.28 that says, And we know. That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are thee called according to his purpose. I want to share one last verse with you before we close. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50, it's a prophecy about the Lord Jesus. And verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. Isaiah wrote that prophecy concerning the torture And death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says he had set his face like a flint. A flint being a hard stone. Unmovable. Even our Lord Jesus. Especially our Lord Jesus. Was unmovable. Remember what I told you move move mean to be carried away. To be taken from one place to another. What if. What if. Jesus had it been movable. What if he'd allowed the heartache and the pain and the temptation to move him away from Mount Calvary? Listen, for the sake of your family, for the sake of the family of God, let's be unmovable. These outcomes, we need these outcomes in our life. And we can have them as we stay faithful. Amen?